Amen. So our Bible passage this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through to 14. And I'm going to read from the passage translation today. The words are up on the screen. Starting in verse 8. That night in a field near Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, Messiah. You will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in the feeding trough. Then all at once in the night sky, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God, singing glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. Each one of us here this morning is probably quite familiar with the story of the coming of Jesus and that familiarity can sometimes cause us to see these events as if we're looking through a blurry lens, if you like. For so many of us, it's just a nice story and we get a bit of time off every year in the middle of winter, so we'll take it. But what else is there to know? We've heard it all before. It's like a song we've heard so many times or a movie that we've seen a bit too much. And so we just nod off to sleep a little bit. Does anybody resonate? This is my 38th, 39th Christmas. I don't remember my first year. <laughs> but it's very familiar. For a couple of years, we used to do a uh, Friday night movie night as a family with Joshua and Daniel, our oldest kids, it would involve stuffing our faces with sweets and ice cream. And if it was winter, we would light the fire, dim the lights, and press play. And sadly, we used to have a, a wonderful recliner sofa, which I loved. Um, it, was, it was sent from heaven. Um, and sadly, it is no more. It was destroyed by moss, would you believe? Uh, and I still grieve for it to this day. Uh, because when Friday night movie night came, I would flick back in the recliner. And more often than not, I would find myself getting poked by one of the boys midway through the movie because I was snoring loudly. And much to their annoyance, I had missed half the film. <laughs> and you can judge me for that if you like. But the truth is that sometimes we all do the same when we hear this story. Sometimes the familiarity, what we already know, actually hinders us when it comes to receiving the good news of Jesus, the most joyous news that the world has ever known. Jesus knew that our heads can often get in the way of our hearts. That's why he told us that if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to change and become like little children. Children don't filter things in an intellectual way like we do. There's a wonder and innocence about children that allows them to experience the world in all of its beauty and color. It allows them to dream and to hope. 
to imagine what could be, to experience a fullness in life that so many of us have lost. So I want to encourage you to engage with your heart this morning. 2,000 years ago in a field near Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord appeared in dazzling glory, bringing the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And this morning, I want to tell you that joy is here. And if you can see it, you can have it. Joy is a gift that comes from God. We can't manufacture it, but we can welcome it. I don't know if you've ever stopped to consider what joy is and where it comes from. When we sing about joy and when we talk about joy in a biblical sense, we aren't talking about momentary pleasure or perhaps that feeling of happiness when good things are happening in your life. For example, if your football team win the league or if someone gives you a really great gift or if you get a phone call perhaps telling you that you've got the job that you were looking for, those things make us happy and joyful, but joy in a biblical sense comes when we put our faith in Jesus and what he has done for us. Joy comes when we trust in his plans and purposes for our lives, even in the midst of times of sorrow and suffering. And that's an important contrast because it means we can live with joy during times of hardship and suffering and during times of blessing and favor. And maybe you find yourself this morning in a time of hardship. Things are tough. Things are hard. Maybe a time of suffering even. God wants to give you joy this morning. A deep-seated joy. Joy is so much powerful than momentary happiness. And we can receive it through a simple act of faith. We can receive it when we have the faith of a child. In the movie, uh, A Miracle on 34th Street, if you haven't noticed by now during this series, we're kind of tracking different Christmas films. So this is our film this week, A Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, And in that movie, an old man going by the name Chris Kringle sets about the task of bringing back the spirit of Christmas by filling in as Cole's department store Santa, or uh, is anybody hooked on the original, the 1947? Anybody prefer that one over the 1994 version? No, we're all 1994 people. Must be a generational thing. Um, There might be some purists, I thought, amongst us. But anyway, that was Macy's in the original um, movie. And um, whenever, I think it was Disney, went to do the remake, they said, no, thank you. The original stands on its own. So they missed out on all that free publicity all over again. And uh, the imaginary Coles became messy in the updated film. Anyway, the children who come to Coles love Chris Kringle. And the popularity of the store reaches an all-time high as people come in their droves to visit Chris Kringle. And in the movie, Chris Kringle really is Santa Claus but only the children and a select few can actually see it. And the story hinges on Chris convincing the store's special event director, Dory, and all the other disbelieving adults that he is actually the real Santa Claus. 
And actually what happens is that Chris Kringle's put on trial on the basis of whether or not he is Santa. And thankfully there is a happy ending. Faith rises up in the hearts of the New Yorkers who declare that they believe. And I wonder if you'd like to see a quick clip of that film for a minute. Hey, maybe even Rebecca will believe. I know she's not here in the room right now, but you'll see what I mean in a minute. Far away, Peter. Right there. Yeah. We invite you to join with us and ask yourself this one simple question. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Thank you, Peter. Uh, and just to confirm this morning, in case you think I'm veering off into murky theological waters, I promise I'm not preaching at you this morning about Chris Kringle, but I do want to invite you this morning to have the faith of a child. The backdrop of that movie was the song, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Maybe the grammar of that song might grate on you a bit and you wonder why it doesn't say the Lord has come. Certainly I've wondered about that. And the Lord is come puts the emphasis on the fact that he is here with us now. Maybe a better way to understand that is joy to the world. The Lord is here. That's the good news that the angels announced. The most joyous news that the world has ever heard. He is here with us. Jesus is here. His kingdom is at hand and he is making all things new. He lives or he is here now and we can invite him to move in our hearts and our lives, particularly in the places where there is no joy. The opposite of joy is to be downhearted Misery, despair, doom and gloom, sad, depressed, dejected. And whenever I say them all at once, it might sound a bit heavy, but life can make us feel like that at times. It's a place that all of us will visit at some point, but it doesn't have to be the place that we set up camp and stay. God has sent his son into the world so that we may experience the joy that comes from walking with him abiding in him as jesus himself talked about john 15 which is the passage where jesus talks about him being the vine and us being the branches i am the vine and you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do 
nothing. And he goes on to tell his followers, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy comes as we abide, as we stay close to Jesus, as we remain in him. True joy is not circumstantial. Joy comes as we abide with Jesus. It sounds simple, doesn't it? But there's something about this that we don't really like. We don't like dependency. We want to be independent people, masters of our own destiny, in control. But Jesus calls us to abide, to stay in him, to remain in him, to lean on him, to depend on him, to trust in him, to bring our burdens to him and allow him to meet our needs. Rather than leaning on other people or things to meet our needs, we're called to depend on him. And truthfully, most of us struggle with that, don't we? Oh, that we would trust and have the faith of a little child. Like this guy here. Little children are fully dependent on other people to meet their needs, aren't they? We start this life completely dependent. We can't even feed ourselves or do anything for ourselves. But as time goes on, we learn to become independent people. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad that Rebecca doesn't have to feed me like that. Some of that is good and necessary. Learning how to feed yourself and get changed and put on a tie and tie your laces and all those wonderful things, that's good and that's necessary. But along the way, most of us lose that childlike trust. We don't want to be dependent and we struggle to trust in Jesus to meet all of our needs. But faith requires us to trust. To trust in someone other than ourselves. And if we retrace our story right back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, it was doubt, the opposite of trust, that crept in and broke that trust. It stole our innocence. It stole that childlike dependency that we were created to live from. And we know, of course, that Jesus came to redeem us, to rewrite our story, to bring us back to Eden again, to restore the intimacy that sin stole from us. And all of our lives, we're on this journey, learning how to trust and depend fully on God. Learning how to become like little children. And you might be wondering, how, how do I have the faith of a child? Jesus said, become like little children. It's a bit late for me. How? The way back to childlike dependency and trust is to surrender. And I think we talk about this more than any other thing here in Bangor Vineyard. And I make no apologies for that. Surrender is the posture of the kingdom. When we surrender, we put our trust in Jesus. John Tyson, um, who wrote a book called The Burden is Light, he said this. 
Surrender is an open posture of love. Surrender is based not on duty, but on trust. It's a free response and attitude that is open to any and all possibilities that our Father brings to us. Obedience can happen in a moment, but surrender is the posture of a lifetime. If you want your faith to grow, if you want your faith to become like that of a little child, then learn the posture of surrender. Learn to let go of things that you're trying so hard to control. Maybe it's how other people see you. If they see the real me, they won't like it. And so what we do is we put up guards and we won't be vulnerable with other people around us in community. Maybe you haven't trusted him with your finances. Maybe you find yourself controlling relationships in your life. You find yourself controlling your spouse and your kids, but because you haven't trusted God with the lives of those that you love and you're holding on. Maybe you want something so badly from him that instead of waiting for it in God's time, you're going to go and get it yourself. There's so many other ways that we can try and control things. And most of the time, it's because we're motivated by fear. But every time we hold tightly to the reins of our lives, it breaks intimacy with Jesus who invites us to abide in him and to trust him, to surrender to him and abide in his love. John Tyson again says the antidote for a spirit of control is a spirit of surrender. Surrender is that beautiful posture of the heart in which we humbly climb off the throne of our own lives and invite the one who rightfully belongs there to take our place. Instead of seeking sovereignty over ourselves, we trust the one who is over all things and rest in his good intentions for our lives. One of the many, many fruits of a surrendered life is joy. Good news. So if you want to experience his joy, Learn how to trust him. Learn how to let go of things. Hand them over to him. Surrender to them. Because he knows better than we do. And he can care for all of our needs. In the verses we read earlier from Luke 2, we see the faith of the shepherds. They're out tending their sheep, doing their job, and enjoying their normal distance from the disapproving crowds. Outcast and mocked, the shepherds banded together for some sense of community as they shared in the dirty, smelly work of sheep farming. And in the middle of the night, on the hills near Bethlehem, the sky lights up and they hear the thundering sound of angels singing. And they're told to go into the town to see the king who has been born there. And here again, we see childlike belief as they run off and do what they've been told and they go and pursue and search for Jesus. Of course, having an angel party in the sky helped them along their way for sure, but they still had to do something pretty difficult. They still had to walk away and abandon their flocks for a while. And actually that would have been unthinkable, especially in the middle of the night when sheep would have been at their most vulnerable from predators. 
And when they see Jesus, the shepherds are filled with joy. And they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Ecstatic and uncontainable joy was pulsing through their veins that night, all because they simply believed what they'd heard. I love that God chose to announce the most joyous news that the world has ever heard to a bunch of lowly shepherds. He could have chosen the chief priests or the elders. He could have gone right to the very top of the Jewish hierarchy, but instead God chose to reveal Jesus, the savior of the world, to a bunch of shepherds. And in this era, shepherds were lowly people without any title and without any honor. They would have been the lowest echelon of society. Perhaps we might think of them as we think of homeless people, people who, who smelled badly and dressed in worn out, dirty clothes. No one knew who they were, and frankly, nobody cared. But God chose them to make the greatest announcement the world has ever heard. And we see this in scripture, don't we? Again and again and again and again and again. It's just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. The people that God is looking for are those who are humble-hearted. The nobody, the down and out, the despised, the broken, the poor in spirit. I love the message translation of 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through to 31. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Christ Jesus. It's the good news. So if you find yourself today of low esteem, broken, beat up, lonely, humiliated, troubled by your own shortcomings. He has come to reveal himself to you. He is here for you today. Some of us might not feel like that. We might actually resonate a bit more easily with some of the other people that Jesus bumped into during his ministry, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rich young ruler. Perhaps you've done all right for yourself, so perhaps you might not be feeling quite so down and out. And if you want to experience great joy, if you want to see where God moves the most, go serve those who are broken and beat up. It's one of the reasons why I love the vineyard. This is in our DNA. We're called to love those who are much worse off than us, and to lean towards the outcast and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus. 
It's there that we'll find Jesus and it's there that we'll find joy. This time of year when we spend so much on our families, when we buy presents for our kids who'll be interested in them for a few days, maybe a time of year when we accumulate and when we consume, I want to ask you, what can you give? What gift can you bring? What can you give to the King of Kings? Whenever I was a child, um, we had a, a wonderful kids leader um, who was one of my early spiritual mentors and he used to write songs he had loads of songs and I've asked him so many times to record them because they were s- they were so rich but he has never done it because um, if he had I would play it for you this morning um, but he he wrote a song that we sang every year around Christmas time and it went like this and I say it went like this I'm going to read it it's far better to give than to get than to get, get, get. The actions went like this. Far better to give than to get. And to get, 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 get. It's far better to give than to get all you can. Thank you, Father, the one who gave us Jesus, although we didn't deserve it. He's the one who freed us. It's far better to give than to get. It's in the giving that we find joy. It's in the giving to others. It's in compassion that we find joy. It's in the getting down and walking with others who are broken and lowly. It's there we'll find Jesus and it's there we'll find joy. One of the many ways you can give this Christmas is to the young people at Lakewood who, as Peter said, are some of the most vulnerable young people we have in the care system here in Northern Ireland. And as Peter said, we've just about met our target during the week of £35 per person. But wouldn't you love just to blow their socks off with extravagant generosity this Christmas? So they're going to take those vouchers and actually use them. The staff are going to use those vouchers to, to fill up gift boxes. So they won't actually get a voucher on Christmas Day. They'll get lots of gifts. And wouldn't it be amazing just to shower them with generosity this Christmas? So there's still an opportunity if you haven't. Uh, participated in that there's still an opportunity to give if you feel like that's what God's speaking to you about this morning and can I ask you not just to give but to pray as well give off your time to pray for them this Christmas that as they open their presence this Christmas morning they will open their eyes and they'll open their hearts to the most joyous news that the world has ever known Oh God, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Final point I want to make this morning is this. Have a faith that welcomes joy. Happiness is a word that we use for a temporary state of well-being brought on by positive experiences. We go on a nice holiday and we're happy. We get a pay rise or a promotion and we're happy for a little while. We get our teenager to tell us how their day was and we're happy. But joy is a radically different idea in the Bible. Joy is not fleeting like happiness and it does not change with our circumstances. The Greek word used in the passage in Luke 2 that we read from this morning, the Greek word used for joy is kara. And actually what it's describing is a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. And joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify 
a feeling of happiness that's based on spiritual realities. Joy is part of God's very essence, a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who has discovered that because of Jesus, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Just as St. Julian of Norwich found out hundreds of years ago. Your circumstances right now might not be good, but if it's not good yet, he's not done yet. We are eternal beings and this life that we live is for a moment. But we can have hearts that welcome joy. Joy grows inside of us as we learn to thank God in all circumstances, diffusing grumbling with words of praise, appreciation, and faith in God's promises to us. I wonder, have you ever had a pity party? Not that anybody would want to admit to. I see plenty of nodding heads. Was it good? <laughs> I w each one of us has lots to complain about. I find those initial few months of COVID really, really difficult. Some people seem to be living their best life off in furlough and out walking in the nice weather that we had, if you remember those few months back in 2020. Uh, and I had so much work to do. My job was just really intense and busy. All this extra stuff that came onto me because of the pandemic and then church as well was just... We've got to figure out how to do this online thing. What was that all about? And our kids, like a lot of kids, they didn't cope wonderfully well with all of the transition and upheaval. And on top of all that, my dad, who had been ill for four years, he passed away during that time. Uh, it was a time as well when uh, there was anxiety in people and some people, they were complaining at me, feeling like I won't, wasn't doing enough for them. And uh, truthfully, I was exhausted. I'm not going to lie to you. I felt a little bit, more than a little bit sorry for myself. And I'd love to say that I didn't have any pity parties during that time, but it simply isn't true. We had at least a few grumbling conversations in our house. But none of them brought the joy that I was looking for. And somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the purifying nature of thanksgiving. You know, it's a choice to say no more. I'm not partnering anymore with a spirit of heaviness. I'm going to put on a garment of praise. We've been talking this morning about the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to bring joy to every heart. And if you can see it, you can have it. We can choose to have hearts that welcome joy. We can prepare our hearts to receive his joy by choosing thankfulness, even in the midst of circumstances that might be a little bit sucky. We can choose to look beyond that and to praise him and thank him for what he's done for us. This morning, maybe the Holy Spirit has been stirring your heart, and I want to invite you to respond. Perhaps you resonate with uh, what I was saying about abiding and 
God is calling you to put your trust in him. So today I want to invite you to repent of trying to control things and choose to surrender again to God's plans and purposes for your life. Perhaps you feel like one of the shepherds. You feel like you're a nobody. And I want to invite you to ask God to reveal his love for you and to visit you with his joy today. Maybe you feel like life is going pretty well, but you want to be part of what God is doing. Can I invite you to give of yourself? Go find someone to encourage or bless. Maybe you might want to give a gift of money to bless the young people at Lakewood and choose to pray for them this Christmas. And finally, you might resonate with what I said about grumbling. And so I want to invite you to say sorry to Jesus this morning for partnering with a spirit of heaviness. And this morning, you, and this morning you can choose to put on the garment of praise. And you can do that right now as we worship together again. Joy to the world, the Lord is here. Let earth receive her king. Let our hearts receive the miracle of joy. Emmanuel, God with us. For he is here and he is with us. Why don't you stand and we're going to pray. comfortable doing so why don't you just reach out your hands to receive from him God this morning would you open our eyes where we've just become over familiar and maybe intellectualized some of us would you open our eyes again? Would you open our ears again to see what you're doing, to hear what you're doing, to receive all that you have for us? Where we've taken on a heavy spirit. This morning we step out of that and we choose praise and thanksgiving, trusting in your promises trusting in your goodness trusting that your plans are plans to prosper us if it doesn't feel good yet you're not done help us to be people that have deep-seated joy joy in our hearts that we can walk through all sorts of circumstances knowing that all is well because you're with us. So Lord, would you work your truth in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, I pray.